0: into a white man's town. Bringing black man's law. He's black. He's brutal. He's boss. Fred Williamson is they boss nigger. Boss. They call him boss. Boss I just sworn your new deputy made myself the sheriff.
1: Being called a nigger in public. Now that's $20 or two days in jail.
0: Take your filthy black hands off me, nigger! He, he just locked up the bank president!
2: Well, you all been hunting black folks for so long. We just want to see what it felt like
0: to hunt white folks. Part legend, part devil, <coughs> all man. That's just to satisfy your curiosity.
1: Good morning, gentlemen. It's my pleasure to tell you uh, that... Sir,
0: you are interrupting our breakfast. We never discuss business while we're eating. Where'd you learn to talk like that?
1: I've been wanting to say that to somebody for eight years. My slave master said that to me once. It sounded so pretty, I never forgot it.
0: (laughs) We got that nigga, let's go! Leaving this
2: town till I gets me Jed Clayton.
0: Red Williamson is Boss Nigger. Nervio Martin is Deputy. They call him Boss. They call him Boss. Boss Nigger. And now it's time to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Chris Honeywell is an internet loudmouth. Why would I be afraid to say the name of a stupid movie? Hated and reviled by his few remaining friends, he catches the attention of Thomas DJ, perhaps the world's most cunning supervillain. ensconced in his ultra-scientific hideout, with only his robot army and stunning assistant to keep him company, DJ springs into action.
2: Is this idiocy, Virginia? Use the molecular transmigration
0: beam to bring this fool to me. Virginia trains the hellish mechanism, and with a clap like thunder and in a blinding psychedelic light, Chris Honeywell stands before his tormentor.
2: Normally, I do not suffer fools. But I see beyond the yawning chasm of ignorance that is your brain and the endless sluice of sewage, which is your mouth, that they form a basic animal intelligence that I may be able to mold to my own devices.
1: Uh, okay.
2: Therefore, in my mercy, I offer you two choices. Instant painless disintegration, or... You study grindhouse movies at my feet. Now!
0: Choose!
1: Uh, I choose not disintegration. So be it. In one
2: month, I shall assign you a movie to watch and will summon you again. Be ready, or the consequences shall be swift and
1: merciless. Right, but how do I get to the- NOW
0: GO! And thus began one of the most dangerous and unpredictable endeavors in evil sciencing. The Honeywell Experiment! (laughs) Virginia,
2: summon the (laughs) subject! Alright, Virginia. Just post it over there. Make sure he sees it. We're gonna make out like... I'm gonna make out like a
0: man. Don't look at me like
2: that. Okay. Bring him in!
1: Whoa! Okay, the Old West. I like the Old West. What do we got? Rules here now?
2: We're we're in we're in a we're in a time fold though because it's it's the only one block of the old west that we can afford. That's okay.
1: That's that's uh that's how you do it.
2: <laughs> um I promised you way back in I think it was phase actually let me take a look for a second. It was phase six, I promised you we were gonna return to a little place that I love called Planet Fred. Oh, this is Planet Fred, all right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh,
1: we, we landed uh, on Planet Fred, and everybody there was Fred.
2: <laughs> yes. Fred was the center of everything. Fred always won the fights. Fred always fucked the girls. Um, Fred always got the upper hand on Whitey.
1: Not only did Fred fuck the girls, but all the girls... ...fell madly and deeply in love with Fred. Yes. Um, As a matter of fact, they actually said stuff like... ...oh my god,
2: bring him in and put him in my bed. Yes. <laughs> an actual quote. An actual quote from the film. Yes, we are talking, of course, about...
1: Yeah, you you, you picked a great <laughs> time in American history... ...to, to, to pick this yes. title, huh? Um,
2: we have, in fact chosen
0: probably
2: the work were the worst times for us to actually be discussing this picture um, well
1: maybe not the picture as much as the title the title
2: <laughs> now if you look this up uh in some um reference books and on youtube this film which was made in 1974 starring fred williamson durville martin william smith and uh, many other people who are... R.G. Armstrong is actually pretty a pretty big name as well, but a bunch of other people that we don't really know. Um, was released into theaters with another title. And here we are, two white men, in my case a white man with a slave army of clones...
1: So it makes
2: it difficult for me to refer
1: to it as boss. Yeah, like my 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 default reaction is always not to say, (laughs) rather than say it, I guess. Yeah, you could you could call it boss n word. Uh, (laughs) Boss n star 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 star. Or something, something like that. But it's a boss um, word that Quentin
2: Tarantino likes to use a lot. Um, and it is a word that literally is like every third word in this film. <laughs> yes, it 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 kind of dominates this film. Hell, from the, it, it's said many times in the rather enjoyable theme song. In the song. title and
1: theme song, through the whole, through the whole movie. Um, this, I mean, the, to, to not tie this movie together with blazing saddles and with Django unchained, I think would be to deny the, like the, the, the genetic connections
2: (laughs) going on here. It's it's very obvious that, that this was, this was part of the influence that led to J- uh, Django Unchained. Ch- oh Quentin
1: yeah, Chained. for sure. Um, the, the, and the, and Ch- I mean, there were elements that showed up, I think, in the Hateful Eight and and yeah. stuff like that. But definitely, Quentin Tarantino saw that saw and enjoyed this movie.
2: <laughs> As for its relationship to Blazing Saddles, I think that's up for conjecture. I do know that Fred Williamson was friends with uh richard pryor who wrote the original um blaze saddle script under the name bart e- under the title bart x if i remember correctly so well even though these films were probably made around the same time i'm sure that fred was aware of this of the script and this it, could be seen as his version of that as as i started watching
1: it i thought for to myself I'm like there's too much in like there's too many jokes in blazing saddles that like play off the same situations as this movie mm-hmm. but in obviously more of a humorous tone and I'm like so like it would be natural if if mel brooks was going to make a comedy black exploitation western that mm-hmm. he would that he would use a black exploitation western maybe as for inspiration mm-hmm. and also Blazing Saddles was a humongous hit. So yes, I could see why an exploitation filmmaker would want to make a more, quote-unquote, ser- you know, closer to the bone to cash wow. it you know, Black Western to cash in. But when I started looking at the production of both movies, they seemed to, like, sort of evolve parallel, like, independently of each other. Right. And then I thought to myself, well... If you take in that time period, if you just take the, I mean the, by by that time in the 70s, mm-hmm. uh, the tropes for exploitation movies or black exploitation movies right. were 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 set, and obviously the tropes for westerns were set in stone. Right. So when you take the two That's things, there's just natural collisions that are going to happen between the two, and at the same time you know, the the, the N word is like throwing Molotov
2: cocktails around.
1: Yeah. So well,
2: it's definitely I think the use of this word in this film is definitely Fred Williamson basically taking it back if you will. Em- em- empowering
1: it, rubbing it, yeah. it. It's it's an exploitation movie. He is exploiting the word, as did as did for it's for his own purposes which are which in the movie context are empowerment yeah like i mean just you know right on the surface and in blazing saddles it was sort of the same way it was more through um um satirizing it and and showing you know the ridiculous and the ignorance of the word and and stuff like that Mm -hmm. but I mean, there was an element to that—the scene where they they eat breakfast and and uh, they intimidate the the waiter into saying the, waiter, the word, yes. and, and he gets all flustered and and goes away—is a is a total sort of more of a Blazing Saddles way of dealing with it, right. and and I think Django took it and made it more. Definitely didn't use it for comedic purposes, but used it more to to ram home the 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 ugliness and the the power aspect of it from the opposite point of view but all three movies use that word as a bludgeon in them and it's a in, in, to good effect in all three movies right. i mean i they they, they are they are uh, uh, it, it's not politically correct but they are they right. get their point across and they and they are not shy about about being like yeah we're, we're we're going to exploit the power of this word and what its significance in in society is and use that to to give the movies its teeth
2: <laughs> in right. some ways now now this film was not directed by fred williams and that will come later which leads of course to the famous larry cohen saying please stop telling people you learned to direct under me um but he wrote this and it definitely fits within the the planet fred rules in that you know he's the most macho guy in the world
1: he's the smartest guy in the room right he's the toughest he's the he's the everything everything in the room he's the alpha for sure right. his his name is boss in this yeah. uh, that uh, you know i mean that's what people refer to him as as is boss mm-hmm. and, and and yeah and it goes into the black exploitation world of like he just goes in and makes himself sheriff. He doesn't even right. trick the guy into making him sheriff. He's just like, "Yeah, I'm here to be sheriff out of sheer intimidation."
2: I found this and that makes me sheriff.
1: Yeah, and and he's gonna be sheriff because he's the most competent person there, you know. Right. And uh, he's he's the only he's the only person with power there that's that's on any level to the to the to the bad guy. So.
2: Mm. And there are only three people in in this town who are behind him. Well, four people if you count Derville Martin, his sidekick. But right. the school teacher who comes up to him and says, Oh, back in Boston, we had lots of black people working for us. And we lo- I love to watch him sing and dance.
1: It's a beautiful scene, too, because he just sits there and lets her talk. Yeah. <laughs> he, he just sits there and looks at it. Because she's a beautiful school, mom. He's giving yes. her a little more. He And, and I, I love the scene where he just grabs her and kisses. and goes, that's to satisfy your curiosity.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, there's the um, blacksmith, who I thought was going to be a bigger part of the film.
1: Yeah, he seemed like maybe he ended up on the cutting room. Fl- you know, I, you ever notice a blacksmith is always like the decent guy? The yeah. decent, just like working, the the shopkeeper's always kind of a prick. Sometimes right. the shopkeeper comes around, but the blacksmith is always like salt of the earth guy because he's pounding steel and everybody mm. needs him. And he always ends the the blacksmith almost always is like, sides with the good sheriff in in right. every move. I mean, I mean the what tropes I find in this western about- are hammered right out of
2: a of form, the, the mm-hmm. right down to the the sets, you know. Yeah. I mean, the thing that fascinates me about the blacksmith character is he literally comes up to Fred Williamson and introduces himself. Right, right. Which because... in any other picture would be a sign saying, this character is going to be significant. Yes, yes. And yet he doesn't show up again till the, till the last act. You, yeah, you...
1: he's just sort of he's just sort of like there in reserve. That it, yeah. it, it was like yeah, I don't want to develop this character too much. But if I was I Fred Williamson stop. writing a black exploitation yeah. movie, it would be like, I don't want to develop the the white characters too much. <laughs> you know, yeah. I want to fl- I want to flip the script and and make all the white characters props, and and the black characters interesting and and more more. You know, human. He he just was probably like, I don't want to risk making the blacksmith the hero of the story for all the white people who go see it. <laughs> and then there. Was I'm the I'm op- I'm uh, for subscribing. You yeah, know, yeah. Wh- I have no idea what goes on in the Fred Williamson brain. Uh, well, somewhat. You yeah, can well, tell a no, little no, bit by the script,
2: Fred Williamson is not a complicated man. No, Fred. It's Fred it's easy. Will- Every, a lot of people understand him other than his woman. Um, I think
1: he's a lot like Shatner. Yeah. As a matter of fact, you can tell. By the way, in in the in the sixties and seventies, and we'll get a little Me Too here. Yeah. Is I wouldn't say. There, I mean, Fred Williamson's having sort of a Me Too moment in mm-hmm. in that the, that context today over how he. Acts on sets and stuff like that. Right. But that you could tell in the '60s, a lot of times, with 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 Shatner, with Williamson, when the girls make out out, out there, there's a very like, I think it was the '60s. It, it, have you ever seen Tootsie? Yes. with yeah. yes. Dustin Hoffman Which has his big kiss scene with the old doctor, who's yes. infamous for like getting to kiss everybody. <laughs> Every woman that gets on the set, this guy's going to get written in that he kisses him. And then you have that uncomfortable head mash kiss, you know, mm-hmm. where the actors finally have to do their thing. And it's not a passionate kiss. There were lots of Shatner kisses where he just came up and he and the woman just mashed their yeah. lips together and, and sort of turned their heads at, at different angles. And that was
2: the Fred Williams. That was the kisses Fred Williams yeah. got in this movie. So, um, and then the, the other, the other white character who is a good guy is the doctor who's introduced literally halfway through the film. Just happened. And he's still sort of a reluctant good guy. Yeah, he's a reluctant good guy. He has that line about how he, he looks upon Miss Pruitt has a daughter. And then he is killed off screen. <laughs> by yes, yeah. I, I assume um, R.J. Armstrong's mayor I, I love the fact I'm looking here at the um, I'm looking here at the, the cast list and outside of Jed Clayton, the main villain and R.G. Armstrong, the mayor the other um, characters are listed by such names as Uppity Man <laughs> Drunk wash lady
1: That's about that's about right, you know. I mean, everything in this movie is a trope. It's yeah. it's surprising that anybody gets a real name besides school marm yeah. You know, a- Amos gets a name. Amos gets a name. Right. Boss doesn't really get a name. He's just Boss. Right. He's just a he it's it's you, you almost don't want it, you know. <laughs> it's it, it's almost like the whole thing to me, the enjoyment of the whole thing was like it wasn't going for the great silence it was going for this was shot this is a western by the books on a back lot all the tropes here it is here's the twist it's the black sheriffs in town and that's all you need to play everything you need to make this entertaining and it does it plays every single trope with with a twist and you're and that's why i'm enjoying it and 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 and, we'll, well, not only the twist is the sheriff a black man, but listen to this music. We got black exploitation music going in yeah. it. Like the theme song, is like has that. Le- um well, we we were talking about it before the show. You were saying yeah. it had that sort of Philadelphia.
2: Yeah, I, I almost it. hear Barry White singing this song. Right, of, right, because of the rhythm. Yeah. And on
1: the Django soundtrack, there's the, the, they called him Kane, you know, and he had a horse. It, it has the same, that same sound to it, you know, Mm. and I, 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 you, you cannot convince me that Quentin Tarantino did not take this song and be like, make me my own version of this, you know, singing, singing about, about Kane and, uh, and, uh. Yeah, the the the, the, this and blazing saddles are just like all over the DNA of Hateful Eight and Django Unchained, especially Mm -hmm. Django.
2: So, um See the thing that I find interesting about and I would put this in the in betweener phase of the of the Western as a whole. Because you have Prior to the 1960s, when the the Spaghetti Westerns come in, the Western tends to be about how beautiful the West is, how wonderful it is. It's about the majesty of this great untamed land. And then, of course, the the Spaghetti Western says, nah, it was grimy and nasty and filthy. And then you had this period in the American Western. Where they were kind of trying to catch up with the spaghetti westerns' alternate view of mm-hmm. the West. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, even though a lot of this film is very much of the standard western, there are these attempts you, you see that Fred is obviously trying to emulate the uh, the spaghetti western archetype. Um particularly in that in that you know that crisis point at the end of the second act where he's captured by, um, by Jed and they shoot his hand and they tie him to a post. and then we get some comedy with with uh, Amos. Yep, yep.
1: But unlike, unlike a gritty realistic Western, by the third act, his hand is fine. You know, it's just got a a bandage on
2: it. He is shot twice. Amos says he's going to die, and he says, nope, I'm not going to die. And it's left ambiguous, but you know that Fred Williams says, I'm not dying. Are you kidding me? Well, I was
1: like, I I saw those two shots, and I'm like, if they were, I was like, "Oh, don't kill him off like Great Silence," and then I'm like, mm-hmm. "Ah, they're two kind of shoulder wounds, you know. They didn't yeah. put him right in the heart, you know. That yeah. would be how you, 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 know, you were gonna decisively do it. But they just left it like, yeah, it it just says, ah, the sheriff's not getting away without anything, you know. He's yeah. gonna get away by the skin of his teeth, mm-hmm. and and it was also a way to just like give the dastardly sheriff his last." 'Cause the, they the, sort of set it player, up like the yeah. sheriff could go both ways at the beginning. The sheriff could be like, Hey you know, I thought the sheriff was good. I thought the sheriff would the arc would be the sheriff would come around at the end and be right. like, Yo, will you stay our sheriff? You know, you you got rid of the bad guys, we just I didn't think. Tell you you the
2: truth. I was kind of assuming that he was gonna stay sh-
1: he was gonna decide. I thought the, I thought it was gonna be about how the town embraced him. Yeah, like that's the, but, what. And I'm I thought he was gonna going win down. over the town by protecting them. Yeah, but no, nah. <laughs> nah, it wasn't that we, optimistic.
2: <laughs> go, go, go. We're just going to drive out of town. Yeah. Um, and, and and he turns down, of course, um, the, the school mom who wants to come with him, just like the girl. That, that's another that's another figure that that kind of confused me. In the very first scene, they set up Clara and you're going, OK, that's going to be our romantic interest.
1: Mm hmm. No, he wants he wants to hook up with the school marm in front of everybody. But at the same time, he does want to hook up with Clara too. Yeah, I'm talking well, I'm talking your... Fred Williamson, the scriptwriter. <laughs> yeah, it's Fred. Williams. But at the same time, Clara gives him a good like, like having her have a huge crush on him. But she's she's a youngin, you know. Not that not that that's gonna stop him, but just narratively, like, it's more interesting for him to hook up with the school marm. It, it creates more friction. Well, but Fred's got to have it both ways. So one of them's got to go.
2: about a Fred Williamson film, but I think the schoolmarm is a more f- fully rounded character.
1: And, well, the schoolmarm isn't somebody that the... Even the bad guys aren't going to come down and kill the schoolmarm. Mm-hmm. Because you have to have some... You can't be a total terrorist on the town, and the oh, school, so... marm's a, school marm's a pretty woman. And in the in the in the western tropes, it's just like you know, even the bad guys would be sort of like, ma'am. So, but it, if if you have the woman that he rescued right. get killed, that gives him even more you know, focus to I want revenge, you know, I'm she was just surprised. a kind, kind, decent girl, and she was making an honest living mm-hmm. with these kind, decent, you know, Mexican family, and there's no reason to kill her, except for just Spite, and it gives him a good driving, you know, and and we were very close, and she loved me, and blah, 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 but he still gets to school, Marm. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, of course.
1: So it's just so. I, I think it was a way for Fred to have two girlfriends and to also have a girlfriend that gets killed at right. the same time.
2: I, I, I got to admit, given the time that this film was made, 1974, even though there is that comedy scene with the mayor sneaking in on Clara, um, they never pulled. You know, this is. By the way, people, I am not advocating this. I do not like seeing this in my movies. But I was expecting that that somebody was going to get raped. Because that was the thing that they did in that time period. Yes. And uh, I'm surprised at how, with the exception of that one scene where Clara gets to kick the mayor in the balls... Um. They never never got that far. They kept
1: it down. They, they they kept that aspect of it Yeah down. It was weird it was weird. I was expecting that too. Just I mean the I, I mean the, I, I I expect the mayor to not succeed because the mayor is presented as like, you know, the, the pinnacle of cowardliness. So like she just puts up a little you know, he was just expecting to go in and take his his what he wanted and she and she took care of him real quick you know because he's 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 useless but I did expect I I expected more I expected more from what was her name was her name Dalton or Clanton I can't remember it was one of the one of the bad guy names but I expected at, at least them to be doing some more raping. I'm, like, I'm actually glad they didn't, but I expected yeah. I expected more of it. Hey, well, I watched it on YouTube, it. and oh, I, I get the suspicion.
2: Like, oh, like, uh-oh, here it comes. This is the thing I've been not looking forward to seeing. You know? Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, it's always
1: nice when it doesn't come. Yeah. <laughs> it's, that's how I feel when I watch old biker X. Ex- biker and western exploitation movies it's just like mm-hmm. oh geez, when's a rape coming
2: yeah <laughs> um and it's also I, you know who else I think I think Fred Williamson was thinking of with, with boss I think he was thinking of, of the, the Sergio Leone Clint Eastwood movies yes he was going definitely
1: more Clint Eastwood than John Wayne yeah oh yeah
2: um, but, um, yeah, it, it was, it was, uh, an interesting watch to say the least.
1: I uh, enjoyed it cause I bought into it. So I'm like ready for the ride. Right. I'm just like, all right, set this all up and play it out. I want to see how right. it goes. Um, I, I, I gotta I, say I, my I, favorite in the I whole have, movie is Derville it, Martin.
0: It, it, oh, go ahead. Go ahead.
1: My, my favorite character is the Derville Martin character. <laughs> because he's just, because uh, you know, Fred Williamson is the stoic guy who's got yeah. his power. Derville Martin is set up as sort of like his lackey, who's a little yeah. drunk with power. But then mm. you realize, no, he ain't drunk with power. He's 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 maybe even a little little smarter and a little more into just sort of trolling people. Right. And well, there's and, that and
0: line he's,
2: he's, there's a, they're outside the the cafe. And, um, you know, because Durville Martin dresses down the mayor at one mm-hmm. point and says, you know, we do not discuss bre- We do not discuss mm-hmm. business during breakfast. So please wait outside and we'll be with you momentarily. And after they do meet with the mayor, Fred Williamson says, that was pretty cool. What? And he explains, this is what my... When I was a sla- when I was a slave, that's what my master used to say to me all the time. I've always wanted to say that.
1: Yeah, I love that scene. I described that, I was describing that scene to a coworker the other day I, as as the best scene in the movie, because it's just and then he's it, 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 you know he just memorized it and was waiting to say it, and when he did, it totally just like the mayor's
2: like, oh, okay. And like, and we should mention this is the second time we've seen Dermil Martin, of course, because yes, yes. he was the director and villain in The Legendary Dolomite. And and I just love that scene because,
1: A, it's just, a, it's, it's, it, it plays out really nicely, but it's oh. also very good at just sort of giving a little backstory into the two of them that they're, yeah. you know, that they were slaves. But it doesn't say like were they freed or did they free themselves? You get sort of the, the um, you sort of get the idea that they freed themselves that like right. you know it, it gives just a nice feel of a backstory to it. And, and you know, with writing out of town, I'm sure he was setting this up to like, ah, eh, maybe this will become a recurring character. you know, maybe the boss will will make his way across the west in a series of movies. I'm surprised it... I, did, did, was this movie very popular? Or... Oh. I would think it would have been. It, um... It's... it's I mean, it's a crowd pleaser. <laughs> yeah, I was looking,
2: I was looking, I'm looking at the IMDb page.
1: It's and the all
2: this page... One of the reviews on the IMDb page claims this is the only Black Western. I'm like, hell the fuck no. It's not even... It's not even the... the only black exploitation western to use uh, has has a title well it, it makes me
1: think that maybe somebody involved in the movie is writing the imgb page yeah, so. no.
2: um but but i will say that in certain markets it played under the title just the boss and in other markets it was um market it has black bounty hunter which is i guess the most generic name yeah you could put on this thing um we, there are two people i want to bring up one is the director because fred did not fred later goes on to direct most of his movies but um in this one he got jack arnold to do the direction does that name sound familiar to you it does Jack Arnold is a legend in sci-fi in science fiction filmmaking because he made the creature from the Black Lagoon. Oh, Tarantula. The incredibly shrinking man. Revenge of the Creature, which oh, which featured by the way a very early appearance by Clint Eastwood as a mm-hmm. scientist with a mouse in his pocket if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so so this this guy uh, high School Confidential. He did. Jack Arnold is was nobody to sneeze at. It, it was definitely, obviously, this was at the end of his career. Um, I think this might be actually his last theatrical because he does does a lot of, of uh, television throughout the seventies. Um, but that that's kind of an unusual pedigree. Given, I don't think it's unusual. I. I I, I mean, obviously
1: it's not his vision. It's not yeah. as much of a, a like well, I, w- I would say like the Incredible Shrieking Man wasn't right. like was more like um uh what was Matheson wrote that, didn't he? Right, Matheson and, wrote and, that. And, but but you can see that this was filmed by a solid competent director. The cinematography is 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 pretty when it has to be pretty. It's well composed. It's solidly shot. It's very nice, you know, nice clean mm-hmm. cinematography, and there's thought put into it. It's composed, you know. So, I mean, it's 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 not a cheap looking movie, you know. No, well, it's, I mean, it's, even,
2: well, it is a cheap looking movie because it is it is low budget. It's
1: filmed on a set with with costumes yeah. out of there the literally- back lot.
2: There are literally only three
1: sets. Yeah, and and they're and and they're. I mean, every there's nothing expensive in this movie. There's not like a lot of huge explosions and you know or anything. It's it is like you could you could print the budget. To, like if you know who the actors are for this movie like the budget for it would have been one of probably the easiest budgets to write up because everything in it is a known property. It's like, okay, we need 10 wagons. We need, you know, 50 horses max. We probably don't even, we probably only need like 15 horses and a horse wrangler and, you know, and all, everything, everything is right out of the box
2: in this one. So exactly. exactly. Um, I, I was looking, actually, actually, as you probably look to see where it was shot. Um, New Mexico it was shot in New Mexico. I'm assuming it was on somebody's ranch.
1: Yeah, and 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 a lot of it probably was cheaper and smoother because Jack Arnold knows all the guys to call, all the places to go. You know how to set it up, how to do it. It, you know, it 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 wasn't it 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 was not you know um, rewriting the book on anything you know
2: well I think the reason why Jed Clayton is played by William Smith who is a something of a legend um, for appearing in a ton of action and biker films I guarantee you this is not the last time we've seen him uh, is because of Arnold, because he uh worked with Arnold on a couple of his films earlier in his career.
1: And, I mean, he's just the action figure bad
2: guy, you know? Yeah, exactly. He's the one that does all the punching and the fighting, while R.G. Mm-hmm. D. Armstrong does all the scheming and the backstabbing. I guess the thing that kind of confuses me is it didn't seem to... It wanted to be both a comedy and a serious Western, and didn't know when to play one side or the other. So it's like the first act is is serious with some jokes. The second act is very jokey. And then it gets grim in the third scene, but not without things like, the uh, the comedy scene of uh clara doing the strip tease to get the to get the guy in range so that uh Amos can pistol whip him oh yeah with the well, right i forgot about
1: that with the uh with the rocking chair yeah i mean that's out that's out of a that's out of an old 30s like ghost story or something movie yeah. you know or then- or something like oh. that
2: the death of the death of Poncho. The death of Poncho comes right out of a Republic, a Republic, uh, property oh. Rope film. I mean, that whole scene, it's just like,
1: you know, it, 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 I have my on my notes in all capital letters, Poncho, oh, yes, and then little letters, and Pedro.
0: I mean, I mean
2: once again, Poncho is a ca- is a character that you expect is going to be a larger port, uh, part of the film. Than he ended up being. I
1: thought he was going to be a larger part into. I was like, "Pancho's doomed." Yeah,
2: oh, oh, I knew Pancho <laughs> he set
1: was up doomed. as too wholesome. Is like, what is wrong with that boy? Oh, he's hungry, Senor. I'm gonna feed. You know, I'm gonna. He's. He was just too set up to for someone to scream at the air. No, yeah. Pancho. His and his name was, like the, the 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 he he and I mean the 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 two. Biggest Mexican male characters are named Pancho and Pedro. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Pedro not going to end well for either way. of them. They are ar- archetypes waiting to be tragically killed for their wholesomeness. <laughs> you know,
2: it's, it's, you know,
1: I. The movie's not cruel enough to kill the, the mother, <laughs> but Pancho and
2: Pedro. Antonio and Pedro can yeah. go. Um, I'm just looking at, at for a second at Fred Williamson's CV. Um, I'm looking because I want to see because the thing is, okay, Fred Williamson was in one of the cornerstone films of the black exploitation move movement namely black caesar directed by larry cohen um i'm look, i don't i, I think no. he does not come back to the boss character although he play he is in several other um westerns including a much more um italian influenced one called take a hard ride and i've mentioned adios amigos which is oh, insufferable But, but the thing is, it's like, I mean, I'm assuming that the, I think also, yeah, it's, I think the thing is, he wasn't sure what he wanted to do. He knew that, that the Italian style was popular, which is why that set looks the way it does. It looks broken down. It looks dusty and grimy and um but he's also doing the old-fashioned western it's not as yeah this is a film that is going to be coming up on the on the uh the docket in a couple of months which is called lady Colt.
0: No we're this just... this
2: felt like blazing saddles this felt yeah. like
1: a like it was it was laid right on top of your classic john like low budget john ford style western rather than you right. know yeah like a carbucci yeah <laughs> style. Carbucci.
2: yeah no um but it, i think it, like i said we're going to watch Lady Colt, which is a, a spaghetti western starring Lola Falana, ooh, us uh, in a couple of months. Because I, I know, guys, I know. Guys, I haven't heard
1: the name Lola
2: Falana in a long time. It's a weird film. It is a very weird film. Let's just put it at that. Particularly the scene where Lola Falana, who is a showgirl who's also a gunslinger, um, sings in Italian at the local saloon. But, um, the thing about, about Lady Colt is it's very much a traditional Western. It is painfully, even though it's, it's, it is a Italian Western. Ita- it is definitely considered spaghetti Western because it was shot by an Italian crew in Spain, in Elmira, Spain, where most of the, uh, spaghettis were made. But it is so traditional. But and it's just it's just a very strange thing. But anyway, um, he goes on. You know, he does a number of these films. There were more, despite what this guy says on the IMDb page. There were more than just this film, as far as black exploitation westerns. There had to be. There's just no way.
1: It's too easy to film a black exploitation western in Hollywood you know?
2: Yeah exactly you know Um...
1: (laughs) I mean maybe they could sell the the line that it's the most black exploitation (laughs) western ever but then again yeah, yeah, it's more so than Django. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: it's 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 about as yeah, I the, mean, the the thing is of course this is a film made in during the time. Yeah. Whereas yeah, yeah. Tarantino's playing off it. Django is basically a commentary on the pictures that were made at that time. Yes. Yes yes that's something we have to keep in mind about that that's why i i look so down upon a lot of what they call neo grindhouse right right because yes we get to see um you know fred williamson shoot william smith the big bad whitey in the head but we also get to see long shots of him just wandering around and Derville Martin putting up hit the, the black law. I love that. Oh, just,
0: Put,
1: putting it up and waiting for people to read it and complain about it so he yes. could march him off frog march him off to the jail cell and extract money from him. I loved it.
2: <laughs> so Is it weird of us that this is the third black exploitation film we've discussed? I don't think so
1: because I think black exploitation movies, like, you got your genres and then you got your black exploitation versions of the genres, which is another genre. So we're gonna be running into parallel black exploitation, you know, versions of of the the regular whitey movies that's another right. thing it uses the term whitey in this which is hilarious because i don't think they were using whitey in those days but it no, still no, was hilarious
2: well for god's sakes the doctor has access to medical tools that weren't invented at that <laughs> <time>. <laughs> it, it, it's up with medical tape, medical tape the 20th century yeah that's true so that was one forward Thinking that, yeah, they, 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 this was not like uh, so, some of the, the Zapata westerns that were coming out around the same time. were not exactly interested in historical accuracy. No,
1: no, not at all. Yeah, there was it no was way the situation would have played out this way in reality, you right. know, which is what it makes it fun for me.
2: <laughs> they they are not. I mean, it's they, obvious. That this was made to be an enter- an entertainment for wow. a very specific audience, and it was made because Fred Williamson was making um, taking advantage of his fame as a former football star, and the fact that he happened to appear in one of the most important black exploitation films ever made. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, his although he was making movies before Black Caesar. Uh, to be precise, he he was featured he was featured in two films as a character called um, Charlie. Um, it was it, Black Caesar allowed him to basically kick open the door and say, "I'm going to write and I'm going to direct. I'm going to make the films that mm-hmm. I know my people want to see." Much like uh, Rudy Ray Moore, in a way. Yeah, yeah
1: except fred williamson had more clout behind him than rudy raymore so he's like got rudy May- raymore was doing it himself whereas whereas fred williamson had a little bit of uh you know even though it's in it's it's not in the highest tiers of hollywood it's still sort of a hollywood clout to bring to it so like y- you know you 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 can see that you can see the limitations in in dolomite mm-hmm. that, that of of like somebody lear- like learning movies from scratch mm-hmm. learning movies from watching them and then getting some money and being like i'm gonna make one and i can talk some you know some pe- you know you can talk Derville martin into it and stuff but they're still limited by huge amounts of money as to what kind of like cinematography you can have, what kind of editing you can have, which gives it its own charm, you know, but this is definitely coming out of, this is definitely coming out of pro film. Yeah. This is, this is from the, the, the level of where, where Hollywood is on the level of like drive in and exploitation movies is realized, Oh, there's money in this. You can, you can budget this like a regular movie, you know, and, and, and get a return on it so it has that 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 made in Hollywood look to it you know Mm
2: -hmm. the thing is keep in mind um you know Fred Williamson has an actor came into prominence primarily through his role in the Roger the Robert Altman film MASH Mm. which is a big deal Mm -hmm. um and I have a feeling that while I kind of agree with Larry Cohen that he should stop saying that all around, I do think that he was an intelligent enough man to observe. Yeah, oh yeah. And to make notes. I think that he always thought that he was going to be making his own shit. He reminds
1: me in a lot of ways of Schwarzenegger. Yeah. he was a big guy coming at it from a physical sort of industry but like he was intelligent and people mm-hmm. wouldn't think you know people weren't weren't thinking of like Arnold Schwarzenegger as a guy like uh, usually guys like that sort of get blown in the wind all right, and people grab a hold of them and stuff but like Schwarzenegger and Williamson sort of like were intelligent enough to be like all right, if I want to make this profitable for me, I got to take the hold of my own career, and that also means, you know, controlling what kind of roles I take and how I present myself and stuff. And and they and then they did it, you know. And also, and people, they, and people sort of were like, oh, oh my God, look what, how well they did because they expected them to be meatheads because they were athletes, you know.
2: And also to keep in mind that um, this was probably the most in, probably the most interesting pick uh, time to be a movie maker yes in in america namely yeah, people would had, give you money to do some weird shit in these and you days had this wide open indie distribute distribution mm-hmm. system that you could use if i mean I think I don't know if I've told the story before. One of the thing I think I did on the, our episode about it's alive, the idea that Larry Cohen would literally drive around Hollywood with a trunk full of scripts, and he'd bring one script into a, a distributor, and if they didn't like it, he said, "Just a minute, go outside, get another script, and bring it and bring it in." Um. There were so many distributors in the, especially after like the the explosion of the gr- of the grindhouses and the drive-ins in the late 50s and 60s that you could probably find backing for anything
1: yeah it was sort of like the netflix of its day yeah exactly. music was like that music and movies at this time period were run by old sleazy people but they would just go I don't know Frank Zappo is famous for saying this. they'd say I don't know what's good anymore I'm an old guy you right. know so they would throw some money at a bunch of things and see what stuck so you ended up getting a lot of you know weird stuff that that took hold or you, you got a lot of stuff did weird stuff that didn't take hold either but they were throwing it all up against the wall so like stuff that d- didn't seem like it would make sense would be, could become very popular because you can't predict, you know, it would still be really good, but it, nobody would think it would make sense, but it would happen because somebody would be just like, I don't know, let's throw some money at it and see, see what happens. If see, run it up the flagpole, see who salutes. And there wasn't as much like nowadays, everything is triangulated and, you know, bored, you know, there isn't room for that experimentation that there was there. You had that, like, this wild woolly world of multiple distributors and different, you know, different kind of, you know, movies and music bubbling out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and yeah, it was, it was a totally different world. So you could end up having things that would totally not make sense these days get made. Mm Mm-hmm. Where...
2: And uh, got once again, God, God bless Fred Williamson. He is working to this day. Um, I'm, I'm looking. He's got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven films in the works. Jesus, including a Christmas cop where he will play the ghost of Christmas present, a cop present, <laughs> which, <laughs> admittedly is not as cool as what I really want, which is I want, because John Carpenter says he wants to make one more film. And I've got the pitch for you, John. I hope you're listening. John Carpenter's A Christmas Carol.
0: Ooh. You can work with
2: all your your favorite actors. Uh, I'm, I'm picturing Keith David as the ghost of Christmas past. I'm picturing either Sam Neill or um, Ken Russell as Scrooge.
1: Oh, my God. You know, I'm uh, down with that. I am down with that. I'm not a big fan of Christmas Carol remakes, but I would like to see John Carpenter's Christmas Carol. And I don't think he would be too weird with it, but I bet you
2: it would be good. Oh, it would be. It would be interesting which is more would, than i can say for most christmas carol remakes
1: he would lean Even, into the dark he would lean into the dark end of it which is what you really need to do that's when that story works the best unless you go the opposite way like muppets christmas carol actually worked mm-hmm. as a, as a, as an adaptation but the <laughs> best ones that worked were like the scary ass
2: what one, this ones that scared you the hell out of you as a kid mm-hmm. Well one of the ones that I love is the the musical version with Albert Finney called if I remember correctly just Scrooge. Yes. And they've got a pretty scary fucking Ghost of Christmas Future in that, yeah. In that one. Yeah. And it ends and the Ghost of Christmas Future uh segment ends with him falling into hell. <gasps> so But uh but yeah, this is uh the man knew what he wanted to do with his life, and he knew he wanted to be the, you know, the, the center of the universe, and he built Planet Fred, and he's still living on it right, this, right at this moment. Although, like I said, I, I don't think he's, I think the last thing he directed was a while ago, and we are not, I, I guarantee you, we will see him again. Before we are, yeah, he directed. Last thing he directed was in 2007, *Vegas Vampires*. Although he has announced he's going to be directing *The Last Hitman*, which Ooh. he's also going to star in.
1: Ooh. Oh. So, like the um, like the sound of that at least.
2: Yeah, I mean, you no, know, he has he has a niche. He knows what what they they want. And he gives it to them, and that's kind of what the house is about. That's what it's all about, yeah. Exactly what it's all about is finding a niche, finding your your people, so to speak, and giving them the entertainment they've always been looking for. Um. And I know it's weird me putting him in the same in the same breath as people like. Rudy Ray Moore or um Ray Dennis Steckler or Oh I definitely um, I don't think that's weird. Well yeah, I'm mean, in the fact that they are they're all kind of self taught people who wanted to do movies and who cares about yeah, you know, how successful Rudy at Ray- it. Yeah. yeah. Well Well Steckler Well no but but the made is, movies right this moment is a testament to the fact that to the fact that ray dennis deckler had an impact you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. yeah oh for sure
0: so oh, um
2: cool. no go
1: ahead go ahead I, I i'm just saying like you know the the fact that steckler got his movies completed <laughs> that he that, that he was able to sell them to su- the, sell them from their ideas and their titles is
2: i'm almost amazing enough you, i'm almost tempted to make you watch uh, those incredibly strange creatures
1: who stopped living and decided to become step zombies
2: stop, um, which um of course now everybody associates with actually to be fair one of the better episodes of Mystery Science Theater 3000 but I saw it in a theater the Thalia Theater on 92nd Street and off Broadway See, So I always,
1: I always associated it with the Golden Turkey Awards they okay. that, they love yeah. talking about that in the Golden Turkey Awards
2: So um but yeah I'm because I've been thinking about that a lot, because because we were um, our colleague Des Reddick uh, and I just did an episode where we talked about zombie a zombie comedy by Jim Jarmusch, and we started talking about other zombie comedies that maybe I could review, and I'm like, I it was down to to incredibly strange creatures or Zombie High, a film starring a very young and very nubile Virginia Madsen.
1: Well, the the Steckler one at least is a musical too, so That's you got
2: that. That's I love about it. It's, it's a legitimate musical. It's I I love the fact that it has this sidekick character who literally you cannot understand.
1: Now, I've never seen. Isn't he sort of like a, a poor man's Jerry Lewis type of character? Or? Uh,
2: no. The sidekick character. The thing is, is that he's east european i guess and his accent is so thick you literally are not able to quite figure out what he's saying the other thing i find fascinating about that film is the way that they had that, that ray dennis steckler has himself made up uh in his acting persona of cash flag uh he looks uncannily like nicholas cage
1: Uh, maybe we got a good conspiracy theory working here.
2: <laughs> Was Ray Steckler actually the father of Nicolas Cage? We'll never know. Um, but yes. Yeah, so, would you recommend to our folks at home that they watch Boston? Yeah, I will. I. <clears throat>
1: I would watch it in a triple feature with with blazing saddles and Django Unchained and make it a make it a day.
2: <laughs> I'm looking at Fred Williamson's biography, and it's obvious that he wrote it himself.
1: Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. like probably almost everything that has to do with him is written by him if he can, which is smart. <laughs>
2: that's, how you, that's, how
1: you, that's how you keep your persona. <laughs> <laughs> That's your bread and butter in that in the world that he's living in.
2: Yeah. So so yeah, it, it's actually he's never taken off his Super Bowl one ring. How about that? Hmm. Oh yeah. That's yes. interesting because he, <laughs> he 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 played in the first Super Bowl. So um,
1: somewhere,
2: I have a Super
1: Eight film of the Super first super bowl that probably that could i guess be counted as a fred williamson movie i guess so yeah
2: and i love this part i'm because i'm looking through like some some facts about him he turned down a role and i'm gonna get you sucker because he didn't want to parody the cool hero image he had developed oh my god i mean
1: i mean tarantino should scoop him up
2: I'm su- well
1: I'm surprised that he hasn't worked with him again since from dust till dawn oh that's right he was until dust till dawn yes I think that was mostly the I think he was mostly in the Robert Rodriguez part in that but still
2: yeah oh my and God I would, like, I would sure. like to to read this is the, the the famous quote that led me to dubbing Fred Williamson films as Planet Fred. There's only two things that I demand in my scripts, and they're the same things my audience demands. First, I have to get the girl, and second, I have to win all the fights. We don't need suspense.
1: Is that what the audience demands? Okay, whatever. Okay. All right.
2: <laughs> well, I guess. If you
1: say ca- so, dude.
2: Yeah, I guess in the case of people who go who went to see things like, Boston. Mm. Um. Yeah, they did. They were not expecting to see Fred Williamson kick a lot of ass, and, and well, cars- yeah, yeah. I don't mind seeing him
1: get his ass kicked every once in a while, just for dr- like for yeah, for his dramatic effect. And and he didn't in, in in the boss, mm-hmm. yeah. but <laughs> um, I think the get the girl part is is I I don't know. I think it's Fred talking. <laughs>
2: two girls in this one.
1: Yeah. Exactly.
2: Even though the other one, he was doing kind of like the, the Roger the, with Clara. I think he was going to do the Roger Moore and for your for your eyes only. Mm, no, no, I'll buy you an ice cream cone.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'll, but I'll you know, you. I I I mean, if if he's going to write that into his claws, I guess that's part of that's part of the thing. <laughs> go hey, ahead. go you go right ahead. Be the boss. And and it becomes a, a fun thing to have running throughout all his movies because that's the thing is like I'm not following him like I would follow like an Oscar winning act you know a mm. a great actor I'm following him for fun you know I'm following him for fun mo because he likes to be in fun movies so perfectly
2: valid <laughs> so um next time I th- I th- I think I still feel like we should continue on with the the gunplay bit. Okay. And, um, since we talked a bit about the fact that this, that that there is a a revenge aspect to this film, and that there was no rape, it's time to visit one of the classics of the rape-revenge genre, starring... An actress who sadly died too soon, and directed by a guy who's still alive right now, and he will still fuck you up. Uh, He lives right here in New York City, too, by the way. Him and uh, Annabella Sciorra, his wife. I'm talking, of course, of Ms. 45, starring Zoe Tamerlis and directed by Abel Ferrara.
1: Ooh, my first Abel Ferrara movie. I haven't e- even seen Bad Lieutenant yet. Oh,
2: Abel Ferrara don't give a shit about what he, what you think of him. No. Trust me on this. I, I know. I went to a convention because he directed a script that Larry Cohen wrote for The Body Snatchers. Mm-hmm. I've seen that. Actually, I have seen that.
1: I don't yes. remember anything about it. I remember Harvey Keitel sitting
2: in an office. That's all I remember about that movie. <laughs> so he had to go, and he appeared at a, a Fangoria con back when I was still writing Fangoria for, for Fangoria, and um, they asked him. Was like, so what did you feel about doing? It's like oh, I, you know, I feel like yeah, there are these these Martian guys like you guys need to need a film. Yeah.
1: Uh, I always like, picture him as sort of the Bukowski of filmmakers, <laughs> mm-hmm. maybe kind of not like I had a friend who worked on. Um, I want to say it was called Body of Evidence. Oh, that he did with Madonna
2: is that's not his. But it, it's it's Willem Dafoe. And you are talking about the one where uh, supposedly Madonna kills a guy by having sex with him.
1: I I just remember it was definitely a Harvey Keitel movie with Madonna in it. In the movie, she does have sex on a
2: car. It's just called M or something like that. It's it's just a letter. It's the two of them in a in a hotel room, and uh, yeah, Harvey had a, is a Harvey Keitel is a director and Madonna is an actress and they're fighting all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, my friend
1: was lighting Madonna for wardrobe tests for that movie and Harvey Keitel was on was there for some reason probably to watch Madonna change Uh huh. on the set and my friend said that Harvey Keitel was <laughs> low like incoherently loaded the whole time where it was like he, he wasn't really doing anything Thing there except just sort of sitting around being drunk. So
2: there you go. You get to watch Zoe Tamales take to the streets of New York and getting revenge. I've been wanting to see this with. one for
1: a long time.
2: Um, we get to. Talk, I, we'll talk more about Zoe because T- I, I adore her. Um, but until next time, you take your you take your Spurs and you
0: go. <laughs>